Hey guys, Chris Bircher. Welcome back. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 107, and I know I get these wrong a lot, and it doesn't really matter. Uh, but this one is going to be about these specific questions. I realize uh, episode 104 or something like that, I talked about the problem and the question, but I really want to get out the, the reason behind this whole thing. Like, what, what does it matter? And, and you can go back and look at my blog post for episode 104 for a little bit more about what the questions are in science. And we forget sometimes that the reason we try to do any, a lot of these things, whether it's find a solution to something that we need, like fix our lawnmower, uh, figure out the best way to get to work, or what to do when somebody calls in sick. You know, we're, we're basically trying to solve a problem, address an issue. But above all of that is we're just trying to answer a question. And if you look at the evolution of philosophy and science and psychology and uh, the humanities, you know, a lot of this comes from our most innocent needs to figure out the answers to things that aren't well, I think, or well, I feel, that aren't just opinions. You know, um, what happens after death? I think we all turn into sharks. Oh, that sounds reasonable. I guess that's the answer, right? Um, and for some reason, we've gotten so far away from any intuitive um, thinking at all. And my point with, and you can go back to episode 104, I think about this, and for more about this is, you know, science is really good at what it does. Philosophy is really good at what it does. But they're all, they've all become these dogmatic entities that have become narrower and narrower and narrower in what they're allowed to do before they either approach the fringes of becoming something else or violating that principal rule of adding anything that has to do with your thoughts or opinions. And I don't have those restrictions, right? And so I'm free to ask the questions the way I want to. Uh, to approach this. And I think that because of my, simply because of my honor and my knowledge of these things, I'm not going to just pull stuff out of thin air, right? I'm not just going to give you my opinions. I'm going to tell you what I think based on a fairly rigorous approach to standing, to reading, to understanding, and to sort of amassing these things. And the last thing I'll say about all that is, you know, we live in an era where information is infinitely available at speed. We have access to anything we would need to know. All the knowledge is out there. What we need to do is assimilate and integrate this stuff together in these system-like approaches. Like, okay, so we understand what this thing does and what that thing does, but how can they work together to do this other thing? Uh, it's the synthesis integration that really matters, and I think that's, that's what I do. Okay, enough about all that. The big questions, I think can be put into, well, they can be forced into a construct of the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Isn't that how we learned it in like sixth grade English? You know, when we're learning about language and we're learning about the precursors to thought and solving these problems and answering these questions, we thought about things in those contexts because they jibe with what we do, what we know, and sort of what our senses can provide us. Uh, And so if we can couch these questions in those formats, I'm fine with that. But remember, I'm I'm forcing them into those formats just to try to cover everything. Because I think, really, there's a couple of um, 
couple of main questions, but they, I, th- I think it's fun to go through this exercise and break them out like that. And remember, implicit in all of this is the time scale. I'm interested in what's happened in the past, what is happening now, which really, it changes so quickly, what is now anyway, and what's going to happen in the future in all of these questions. So really, there would be like a a, a, time, a past, present, and future version of all these questions, uh, and then that would be 18 questions instead of six. But really, I think there's just a couple, and once I throw them all out on the table, maybe we can reduce them a little bit. And so the first one is the who, and that's the simple one. Who am I? Who are we? Who are you? Who? Who as an individual entity on this earth. Do you have a self? Is it a non-dualistic nature? Are we simply all one being uh, that have different skin bag, meat bags that are walking around? Who are you? If you are even anybody. It's a fundamental question that we all sort of ponder from what kind of career path should I take to, and what kind of Myers-Briggs personality am I to, am I an introvert? You know, we all share, we all have, we all share the, f- the feature of having these narcissistic traits, which is why I hate the word narcissism. You know, we all experience a little bit of narcissism and ego. We aren't, n- none of us is the Dalai Lama or Gandhi or Mother Teresa. We all struggle with what is ego. And I think that's right because as Paul Godola says uh, in his Peace and Integrity book, you know, the ego is what f- makes sure we eat. And drink water because you know it's the the will to survive is is wrapped up in a narcissistic ego, right? We there's part of us, and I guess I am a dualist, right? That is a self, that is a person that is separate from the reality. Now I think the pendulum has swung way too far to where that's kind of one of the major problems is all we see is that we think we the who we are is that we are these isolated individuals, these lone wolves. Uh, and screw the rest of everybody else. I'm going to take mine, and you know that that's not right. Or you know, if we get into like the why uh, and the how and the what, but who we are as unique individuals, as determined intentionally by DNA, making us into this unique individual. You know, that's a fundamental thing that people wrestle with, and and, and I think. We deserve to know or to ask the maybe we'll never know, but we deserve to ask the question, to ponder it. And maybe that's the secret of a lot of these questions. And certainly the who are we question is you're not going to write it down in like a three-sentence definitive solution or a mathematical equation. But you can, you know, pondering it provides information that I think allows you to develop as a human on the life that we have, as an individual person, human, and the life that you have on this earth. So the who are we is a fundamental question that I think can be informed by applying nature or nature's patterns on top of that same question, which is the purpose of the acid test. The second one is, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? Are we here to serve uh, the sun god Ra and make sure that he has enough food stores or whatever or enough monuments built to him so that my afterlife is going to be good? Uh, is it about amassing as much wealth as I possibly can? Is it about getting my name in the history books? You know, what am I doing and for what purpose? You know, what is my 
I mean, I hate to say that, but I think that's the, what is my purpose? What is our purpose? And again, both of these things, what was this like a hundred thousand years ago, 50,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, what will it be like in 50 years? What will it be like in five years? What will it be like in a hundred years? These are all fascinating and important questions. The more ego driven, I think the more short that time span is, but I think it's critical to be informed, and even if it's just in a thought experiment, because truthfully, what are we ever really going to know about 50,000 years ago? You know, not much. So a lot of this is a thought experiment thing. What do what, what do what would people like me been, think about themselves 50,000 years ago? What would they think about what their purpose was? Maybe at one time, our purpose really was not die. Maybe for 100,000 years. That was the sole what question. You know, what am I going to eat? <clears throat> Similarly, uh, the next question I would follow up with is, uh, or continue on with, is <laughs> the when, right? And, and, and my version of the when question is, when are we going to learn, right? And this could be sort of like also a where question, like where have we been? Where have we headed? Where are we evolutionarily speaking? And so another way of asking that question would be, when are we going to uh, evolve, right? And are we evolving? How how are we evolving? See, all these sort of bleed into one another. Um, but I oppose the when are we going to learn question because it's inspired by the idea that I think in many ways humans had things figured out in the past. And I say figured out. We knew how to live. We knew what our purpose was. We knew who we were to varying degrees. Some of them, I would argue, better or more accurately or more thoroughly or more fulfilled than we do now. Basically, I'm just chucking the theory that uh, human evolution is linear or increasing through time and that 2022, a human being represents a more highly evolved state than we did in 22 or 22 BC or E or 20, 2022 BC. I do not think that in every measurable trait, we are better. And this is a huge contention and many people argue with me about this, especially when it comes to technological advances. And they always throw these things up. Right? Do you want to die? Would you be like to die of polio? Would you you know, like to live in a time where you ate your own poop and you were sick all the time? It's like, no, there are technological. We have made progress, right? But my point is it's not a holistic 100% across the board progress in every measurable or every known knowable facet. We've, we've lost a lot. We've traded off a lot. And, then, and there's a natural model, right? When, one of the things that nature will tell you is that, you know, matter can neither be created nor destroyed. And you can't have everything. And for one gain here, you have to trade off something here. For an energetic gain in this category, you have to have an energetic loss in another category. If you're going to use limited nutrients to build this organ, you're going to lose those nutrients over here, right? You, you cannot achieve double good everything. There are trade-offs. Trade-offs is the natural law. That's going to apply to all this stuff. And that's a good example of exactly what I'm trying to do here. You know, can, we might ask the question, is capitalistic growth ad infinitum possible? Because that's inherent in all of the financial models that we have currently is that growth is, you know, we'll, we will continue to grow forever. Well, nowhere in nature except for cancer 
do we see that? And even cancer stops because once the host is destroyed, that cancer no longer grows. So there's a great example of how, why would we ever decide that this was going to be a fundamental rule or law of infinite growth when that doesn't occur anywhere else in nature? Why would we not look to nature and sort of go, oh, wait, this is what happens here. Perhaps those rules or whatever phenomena are governing that limitation, well, maybe they're going to happen in financial models too. Anyway, um, the, the next one, so that sort of, so, so when are we going to learn? And, and it, it just puts us in a, in a sort of a, it couches the whole time scale thing. Like what did we know in the past? What have we gained? What have we forgotten? What have we gained? What have we lost? What did we know? What did we not know? And then how do we flip that? You know, is there a pattern of loss? Are we losing, you know, say indigenous culture, the diversity of spiritual beliefs, you know, what are we losing through time? And what does that look like 50 years, a hundred years, a thousand years ahead? And might some of those things that we've lost or, or are losing, and maybe we have some, maybe, maybe, maybe those will help us or inform us to make better decisions. Um, and, and that all relates to this, where we're headed. I think we fear the future in a lot of ways. And we, you know, we think about certain thing, elements of the future. Will I have enough money for retirement? Will my kids get jobs and move out of the house? You know, we think about the future and we worry about specific negative outcomes of the future, but we're really bad at sort of putting the future, using the future to contextualize the things that we do now. We're really bad about hindcasting and forecasting and sort of saying, okay, use capitalism as an example. Okay. Money's good and important, and capitalism seemed pretty fair. Well, what were things? No, let, let's not use capitalism. Let's use politics. It's important not to have anarchy. Um, we want some rules, but we don't want too many rules. And we think people should vote. And then, you know, let's look at democracy circa the Greek era, like twenty five hundred years ago. And then let's look at things, you know, a thousand years ago, and see how those changed. This didn't work out. This did work out. Where are we now? Well, you know. All those fundamental rules are great, but a lot has changed, and maybe we need to add some things here. Maybe take this away, and maybe we're considering like things a little bit too literally. Uh, and so, in the future, maybe we're going to have less oil and less land, and we're going to be more crowded. So, what does capitalism look like, or what do politics look like in that future scenario? That's the kind of thing I'm looking at. When the where question sort of looks like it looks at both the when in the past and the present and the future, and I think. It's important not to be driven by future fear-based future scenarios only, right? And I really think you should move over fear from the whole thing. I don't think we should flip that and look at, you know, rose-colored glasses, rainbows, and unicorn scenarios of the future only. I just think I think we should be realistic about how we do this. And the best model that we have is literally weather forecasting. You know, we look at the past data and then flip it over and sort of assume, well, is there any reason this wouldn't continue to happen in the future? And if there are, then we modify that model in those ways. And that gives us sort of a, you know, some examples of the way things might be. And I just don't think we do enough of that. This whole idea of adaptive management, of accepting that change happens, we tend to think that everything's going to continue to be the same. Take the assumption of infinite growth in capitalism, for example. Why would we ever Again, a natural rule of thumb is that everything is going to change. The fundamental element of the nature's model is that change is an inherent part of the system. And if there's one thing you can depend on is that things are going to change. Environmental conditions are going to change. And so species need to have some mechanism to adapt to those or all biology is going to go extinct if they can't deal with what those 
changes are. That's why we have DNA and sexual reproduction. Da, 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 da. Okay. The next sort of question I'm thinking is the why. And this one kind of relates to the first one. You know, who are we? Is well, like why are we here? And this is one that you're never going to answer definitively. Again, I think many of these questions you don't want the answers to. It's the journey and not the the, nest, the destination. And that's another natural rule because what nature will say in this whole idea that things change is if you ask a question and then time elapses while you're generating evidence and, and, and information to sort of address that question, well, things change during that time period. And so by the time you, you might have a definitive answer to the question, well, the very problem that existed before is no longer there and you have a new one. And so it isn't ever about the answer. It isn't ever about the solution. It isn't ever really about the cure for cancer, right? Those are all like triage level um, reasons that inspire the need to ask the questions. They're band-aids that never reflect the real problem, which is way upstream of that. And so what we're doing by asking these questions is doing like investigative research accumulating knowledge to enhance our ability to make decisions. And so when things change, now we have a now we can look at this from a new perspective gained from whatever uh, investigation we did when we were dealing with the last question. And if it was a fire that needed to be put out immediately, we, we you know, we're constantly learning new ways to do that. But it's more about the system and all the parts and accumulating knowledge in order to be able to best deal with changes that are going to happen in that system. So the why are we here is just simply, you know, what are our global values? We can do this as individuals. And in fact, it's one of the first things any therapist or coach um, is going to have you do as an exercise is sit down and figure out your personal values. And you can go back and look at several episodes where I talk about personal values and the difficulty and the reality of really sitting down and figuring out what these things are. It's a practice. It's not a single event. It's a dynamic practice that you do your whole life. And by having this set of values, it's kind of like having more information about what it is you might want to or not want to do. And I keep hoping and wishing and dreaming that like the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule, that there are global level values that are inherent in nature. So the why question to me is probably the most interesting one because it get, it gets at in the and the dualistic nature or non-dualistic nature of the why question is really this is a collective level thing. What were our global values a thousand years ago, ten thousand years ago, fifty thousand years ago? Well. The, the biggest difference was that we were in manageable unit sizes, right? If you're in a village of 25 or 30 people, your global value systems, you can figure out over the campfire a few nights in a row. It's a lot harder to do that for 8 billion people. But that doesn't mean we can't. It's just it was probably easier. And we probably did it, whereas now we've just sort of given up. Um, and inherent to all of this is this my, my inability to accept the answer that things are too difficult. You know, inherent to all this is my willingness and frankly, capacity, if not ability, to deal with a super complex set of variables. I don't care. I'm fine with violating some rules of mathematics. I'm fine. I don't have anybody to impress. I don't have anybody to answer to. I don't have any you know, governing body restricting anything that I can do. So if I want 
you know, I keep imagining behind me or on a wall over here having the world's largest whiteboard and just starting to write the variables down because it's not an infinite list of variables that go into these things that answering these questions. You know, it's things like politics and finance and love and family structure and religion. You know, these things all kind of fall out and they will group together and you can build a model that helps you answer all these questions. It can be done. It's not something that um, we have to be scared of. Just and, and, and I guess my point is I'm not going to accept the, the it's too hard uh, answer. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter, right? I don't care. Um, having said that, there are times where what I think bumps up against somebody else's beliefs and somebody else will point out an issue that does seem insurmountable. Um, you know, something like, you know, what if we decide as one of our global values that that religions that include forms of punishment or prejudice against genders and violence um, one one group, you know, there might be groups that that's important to that want to mutilate women or or demean women or not consider women equals. Well, we may decide as a global group that you know eighty percent of us think that's crap and we don't want it. Right? And and I'm willing to be to at least build a model. I'm not saying we have to make any rules. Good luck with that anyway. Just as a thought experiment and say, what if we just cut those people out? And said, you're, you know, we, we don't accept your belief system and will not allow those elements of your belief system to um, be uh, considered in the rulemaking. That is not a, one of our global values. One of our global values is gender equality. And so that's any legislation or norms or rules are going to reflect that. That could create more. Right, that's gonna that's gonna alienate a certain group. Well, I'm okay with that, especially uh, in the context of thought experiments. And so, <clears throat> I I I realize this whole I can't be right about this, and I don't mean to try to be right about this. I just know how I feel to push the questions forward, and I hope that I can minimize my bias to the point where it doesn't influence my ability to accept new information and to consider as many of these complex variables as I possibly can. And, and it, and it, and it could be, you know, all for not, it could be an impossible task. I just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, and one of the biggest compliments I've got for people to listen to the podcast or watch the YouTube videos is that, you know, I don't seem to take myself too seriously. And that's, part of what makes me the right person to do this because frankly I don't I don't have to like I said I've got it I've got ego uh, just like everybody else but I try to keep that to a minimum and I, and I hope that I can do that um, but what's really gonna drive that is um, cr- criticism and pushback and discourse and without that I only I'm I yo so yo e me circumstantia. I mean I only know what I know and what I have. So I invite all that pushback and discourse and hopefully done in a polite and um, a scholarly manner. Now the last one is sort of the is is the how and you know how is kind of like how do we want to live? How do we want to be? And this is I can think of no better example than this than my twenty year old daughter who is struggling with the you know leaving home the comforts of home and then realizing the realities of what adulthood means 
in America in 2022. And this has certainly been true my entire life. I've said this a million times in this podcast. My biggest uh, existential crisis was the day I realized that in order to have the privilege of living in this world, I was going to have to work 40 hours a week for the rest of my life. Now, I have figured out ways around that, but I was just not cool with that. I thought that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I fundamentally believe probably only a few hundred years ago, we did not spend that much time working. And, you know, I would argue that, you know, polio and smallpox notwithstanding, our standard of living may have been a little bit better than it is now in a lot of ways. And so, I, you know, I look at her and I go, you know, your, your goal is to think about, and I'm not even saying figure out, think about what you want. Think about all of these things. Who, what, when, where, why, how. What kind of life do you want to live? Are fancy sweaters and iPhones important enough to you to perpetuate the feeling that she has right now, this overwhelming feeling of, when is it going to end? When am I ever going to have a minute to breathe? When am I going to be able to not work uh, towards something and be stressed out? You know, guess what? Never. You might hit 50, 70 years old before you, you know, think about that again because you're so overwhelmed going through the motions. So how do you want to be? These are the fundamental questions that I think every human being with the luxury of having enough to eat, having a place to live, and having your basic needs met ought to be exploring. And the types of questions that I don't see how, I don't understand why everybody isn't asking these things. And truthfully, I think the people who aren't asking these things have some sort of interruptive neurotic blockage you know, whether that's being too wrapped up in capitalism or image or, you know, they, their global value systems, they, they haven't thought enough about it. Because I think anybody who is self-aware enough to, 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 to think about the world they live in is going to end up asking some form of these questions to themselves. And we ought to be doing it collectively. And we ought to be having a little bit of fun uh, while we're doing it. And that's exactly what I want to do. And the, and the real purpose here is I don't want, I'm, there's been plenty of people who have asked these kinds of questions in the context of specific disciplines like economics or health sciences or religion or philosophy. Even I don't have, I'm not you know interested in redoing. I'm interested in using all the information that we've read about those uh, um, practices or those uh, endeavors, those efforts. But this time, I want to look at in a what does the natural world, what do we know about things that happen in the universe naturally, the way that there's positive charges on atoms, the way that electrons travel around the nucleus, the way that water flows downhill, the way that temperature you know, comes from the sun, the way that plants photosynthesize. What do all those things that we know about how things happen before us, without, outside the context of us, that aren't human-made, that aren't constructs of humans... What do those patterns and relationships tell us about the answers to these questions? How can they inform our exploration of the answers to these questions? Who are we? What are we doing? When are we going to learn? Where are we headed? Why are we here? And how do we want to be? I hope you'll come with me on this journey, and I hope you will share in this discourse. I'm Chris Bircher. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Uh, I don't even... The the big questions in the acid tests, episode 107. I'll see you next week. Take it easy.